morning. Hope you're doing good. Um, it's exciting to see people be baptized, who publicly professing their faith in, in Christ and uh, being able to share with them um, a symbol of what's happened in their heart and in their life as they've come to life in Christ. And so that's always exciting, excited about that. Uh, also, looking forward to this message this morning. We're going to continue answering this question, who is God? Uh, really looking at um, specifically more about the Holy Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this the last few weeks of how uh, so many times we can seem to identify somewhat with the Father. We can identify somewhat with the Son. Um, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, especially when people start calling him the Holy Ghost, um, we kind of freak out a little bit. And so uh, we've been looking at him. And, and I told you, and we're going to see this again uh, in just a minute as we read the scripture. But I told you that if you look at Jesus and his character and nature, his attributes, uh, you begin to see who the Father is. That when we look at the Father we, or the Son, we see the Father. Same is true for the Spirit. We can begin to understand the Spirit, who he is, when we look at the Son. Same character, nature, attributes in the Spirit. And so we're going to continue looking at that. Um, the last three weeks, I gave you a definition of grace, um, not just his unmerited love and favor. That is part of grace. But grace is really God's ability um, doing for us, in us, and through us what we cannot do ourselves. It's God doing for us, in us, through us what we cannot do ourselves. And, and we looked at uh, the very first week of this, looking at who is God. We looked at how God is a God of relationship. Through Jesus, he's done for us what we could not do ourselves. He has brought us into a relationship with, with himself. And he's also given us the ability now to have right relationship with others. And that's his church. That's the people of, of God who put their faith in Christ. Next uh, week, we looked at um, how God does in us what we cannot do ourselves. And so we saw how the Holy Spirit begins to move in our lives to recreate us. And um, it's not able to be done through rules and through all these other things. But when we come into the love of God and by faith we come to Christ and his spirit begins to work in us, he begins to change our hearts and the Old Testament promises that God gave long ago of, that he would give us a new heart and write his, his laws on, and decrees on our hearts and move us to follow him. We see that beginning to happen. Then last week, we looked at how God does through us what we cannot do ourselves. And we spent some time in Ephesians chapter 4 looking at that. Um, today, we're going to start off in John chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, we'll start there. I want to continue looking at this um, thought of uh, God does through us what we cannot do ourselves. And, and this is really going to go until March 10th when that evening at 6 o'clock we have um, the meeting where we're going to begin to look at um, how we're wired, how we're gifted. Uh, one of the things I want to be clear about with that, that I do not want to do, is I don't want to go through this process, this uh, becoming aware of how we're gifted, identifying how we're gifted, how God's created us. I don't want us to go through this process, get to the end of it, and me or, or we just tell you, now this is what you should do. I don't feel like that's what we are here for. We're not here to program your life. What we're here to do is try to equip you to, to do what God has called you to, the very specific purpose for your life and how that incorporate, is incorporated into the church, his body. So it, it's really one of the things where we want to help you identify this, but then 
You pray about how God wants that to be used within his kingdom, within the church, within the body of Christ. And so we're going to be looking at that, though, March the 10th, trying to see how's God gifted me? How's God wired me? How am I created um, specifically to be a part of his bigger picture through his church? And so we'll be looking at that. Um, and this will be leading up to that. So we're going to continue looking at this last part of that grace definition that God does through us what we cannot do ourselves. In John 14, if you notice, if you look there at John uh, 14, a lot of John 13, 15, 16, 17. Um, if your Bible is a Bible that puts, uh, it's like a red letter Bible is what they would probably call it, but a Bible that puts Jesus's words in red. You're going to notice in those chapters, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, you're going to notice a lot of red. And, and you know, all of scripture is important when we see the red, it kind of should jump out at us, right? It's Jesus' words, especially right here. I want you to notice, now this is going and getting pretty close to the cross. Jesus is knowing that the cross is near. He's knowing that these are some of his last words. And so John records much of the last sayings that Jesus had for his disciples before the cross. He begins to teach them a lot about the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Because he knows that once he has been crucified, he dies, he's, he's uh, resurrected, he ascends. He's sending the Spirit back. He wants to give them a general understanding of who the Spirit is and who's going to come back to them. He wants them to know that even when he's gone, that he's not going to leave them as orphans. He wants them to see the importance of the Holy Spirit. And so where we're specifically about to read in John chapter 14 Philip, one of the disciples, has made a statement. Jesus has just told them uh, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And Philip makes this statement in uh, verse 8 of chapter 14. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And so we're going to pick up reading in verse 9 of John 14, and we're going to read through verse 17. It says this, that Jesus responds to Philip and says, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen the Father, or seen me, has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And I told you a moment ago that, and we've looked at this, how we look at Jesus. We see his character, his nature, his attributes. We see who the Father is. Many of us have constructed a view of God based off of our experiences in life. Um, we've constructed a view of God that's not accurate. We really need to go back and read the Gospels, looking at Scripture, tearing down this understanding of who we've always thought God to be and allowing God to reestablish his true identity for us through his truth. Many of us through our experience have created a God that does not exist. And, and many of us, when you describe the God, I'll sit down with people all the time, they begin to describe who God is to them it's no wonder that we have a hard time trusting him because it's based off of our experience, not off of his truth. And so Jesus tells us again, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. If I look at Jesus and I see his character, nature, his attributes, I can understand the heart of God. 
the Father. If I look at Jesus and I begin to understand his character, nature, attributes, I can begin to understand the spirit, his role, his function, because Jesus tells us he's going to send another, one just like him, who's not him, but one that's just like him. When we look at the Father and the Son and the Spirit, we begin to realize that they all have the same character, nature, attributes, but they have a different function. And so when we come to them, we can come to them with the assurance, as we sang this morning, that he never changes. And so we know who he is, whether we're relating to the Father, the Son, or the Spirit. They have the same character and attribute as Jesus. And so Jesus says, Philip, look, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the very evidence of the works themselves. Why is this important for them? Listen, it's so important because you've got to think these are Jewish people who have begun to follow Jesus. Jesus comes into their culture, a culture that has become skewed by um, really getting off track with what God intended for them with the, the law and with the temple worship and all these other ways. It's kind of just become this religious thing for them. Jesus steps into this. They too, now listen, they're people just like us. They too have constructed an understanding of God that is largely based off of their experience in their own religious culture. And so they too see God through a distorted lens based off of experience. Jesus is telling them this, look, I know you've had all of this experience. I know this is what you've been taught. I know this is what you've always known, but you've got to understand that I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's saying, if you look to me, you will see the truth. And it's not just me and the truth of who I am. When you look at me, you can see the truth of the Father. So allow the truth to now come in, tear down this old paradigm and way of understanding God so that the Spirit of God can open your eyes to see the truth and the true purpose of the Father. Does that make sense? So he's wanting them to see this. You're not just looking at me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But it's not just the truth of who I am. It's the truth of who the Father is. And my plan and purpose that I've come here and begun and what the Spirit is going to continue to do, it's not something that's disjointed. It's all working together to fulfill the purpose of God all the way back in Genesis 1, 26 through 28 that was restated in Acts 1, 8, that the whole earth would be filled with the glory of God. He's wanting them to see this, to know the Father, look at me, to come to the Father, come to me. I'm the way, I'm the truth. If you come to me, if you come to the Father through me, I'll give you my spirit and you'll come to life, the way, the truth, and the life. And so he goes on, and this is the part that was really on my heart, especially yesterday and today. He says this, he says, very truly I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Another one, he's saying another one that's not me, but he's just like me. 
the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Let's pray. We'll jump into this. God, I thank you for your word, your truth, God. Lord, I pray today that this wouldn't be just my words, God, but you would speak to us. I pray that your word would be empowered as it is, God, and that we would experience its power, Lord, that it's living and active. God, I pray that your word would tear down strongholds in our mind, these ways of thinking, old paradigms of thinking and ways of approaching you, God. Um, give us eyes to see clearly. Open the eyes of our heart, um, God. Enlighten our hearts, our minds, God, to be able to see clearly who you are, your plan and purposes for our life, Lord. We love you and we just thank you, God, for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you would say you've had somebody in your life who saw something in you that you could not see yourselves? Like they saw more in you than you could see. Anybody had that? Anybody want to share that real quick? Like you want to share that, anybody? Everybody went. I didn't think anybody did, but... Um, Thought I'd ask. And so what, what I realized is I've had people like that in my life. That, that They saw more in me than what I could see in myself. One of those people were uh, my great-grandmother. Um, it's pretty cool. She was born in 1898 and died in 1996. That's pretty incredible when you think about it. From riding in a horse and buggy to seeing people land on the moon, um, if they really landed on the moon. And... And, 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 and then, you know, the beginnings of the internet. I mean, just the things she saw, you know. Um, the first car, I remember telling stories about the first car she ever saw. and Just things like that. Well, she lived next to my grandparents. And she lived in this house, like a three-story house. It was really, like, old. And, and they were like, don't go upstairs. I still don't know what was upstairs. But anyway, it was spooky. They didn't even have to tell me not to go upstairs. Because it looked like one of these houses you see in some kind of horror movie. And so, but I loved her. I, I always would go see her when I would go see my grandparents. And so I would go over and talk with her. Um, she was extremely uh, just down to earth, just country. Like she, when she raised my grandfather and, and his brothers, like they were so poor. Like if, if it would sit still long enough, they'd eat it. You know what I'm talking about? Like, and, and, and like, I'm talking about like eating possums, whatever it might be. And you're like, I wouldn't eat a possum. Yeah, if you were hungry enough, you would. And they, I remember my granddaddy's like, we'd catch a possum, put it in a cage. We'd feed it cornmeal to clean it out. And then we'd eat it. And I'm like, anything I got to clean out before, I don't really want to eat that. You know what I mean? And so, um, but they, they would eat it. They just grew up real poor. And I don't know about you, but I had uh, my great grandmother. Any of y'all that are so country and you come from such, such country roots that your grandmother or great grandmother dipped the, that sweet snuff stuff. You remember that? Anybody? Some of y'all raise your hands. Don't be ashamed. Just good. It's, that's your roots, right? And some of y'all, there's some of y'all like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and so uh, she did. I remember going over there one day, and, and this really didn't have anything to do with the message, but it's kind of funny. I go over, and I walked in. She was always glad to see me, and I walk in, and she had her little can of snuff, and she had the top. She'd always pour it in the top and then, like, put it in her mouth. And so I walk in. She, she's like this, and she turned around and see me. She said, Brandon, like that. And when she did, like, the dust went all in my eyes. I was blinded for, like, 30 seconds. And I was like, ah, you know. And, uh, but I remember when I would go over there, it was one of my earliest memories. I mean, probably four or five years old is when I remember 
her starting to tell me this. And um, I would go over there and see her and we'd just be talking about random stuff. And then she'd look at me, she'd go, you're going to be a preacher one day. Uh-uh. You know, like, no, I'm going to be a baseball player, Grandma. That's what I'm going to do. You know, and she's like, no, I think you're going to be a preacher one day. And I'm like, all right, whatever. And, and so didn't pay a lot of attention to it. Uh, went on, uh, you know, through life, got to be about 16, 17 years old, started going to church with my girlfriend who became my wife, um, Susan. And so I'd go to church with her. I remember when uh, the youth pastor from that church who I'd gotten to know a little bit, when he was leaving, the, the last day he was there, I went down. We were all telling him bye. I remember he hugged my neck and he told me, he said, you don't know it yet, but you're going to be a preacher one day. I'm like, dude, dude, you're way off, right? Um, and it wasn't probably, it was probably eight, nine, ten years later before I started feeling a call to that, a pulling to that. I saved when I was 24, ended up starting to feel called to ministry. And I tell you that to say this, that uh, there are people in our lives, for many of us, who have seen more in us than what we could see in ourselves. When I read this passage in John, I feel like that's what Jesus is trying to tell us, in, in a way. He's saying, look, there's going to be one who is in you, who is going to do through you greater things than you could ever possibly imagine. That there's going to be one who's going to work through you in ways that you could not do yourself. That, 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 that he, you're actually going to be equipped and empowered to do greater things than what I have done. He said, you'll do these things. And whoever, listen, whoever believes in me, he doesn't say some who believe in me. He doesn't say preachers who believe in me. He says, whoever believes in me will do greater things than what I have done. And what does he mean by that? I mean, first of all, how could you do greater things than Jesus? Anybody that predicts their own death dies, goes in a tomb for three days, comes out resurrected and ascends to heaven, and they predicted the whole thing. Hard to beat that. That's a pretty good miracle, right? Uh, he raised people from the dead. He, he gave life. He opened blinded eyes. How can we do greater things? I don't think what, Jesus is saying there is that the miracles and the signs and the wonders that we do are going to be greater. They can't be greater. I think what Jesus is saying here is that there's going to be more of them. Why is there going to be more of them? He gives us this clue or this hint when he says that he is going to go away. He tells us, he says, it's the Father living in me who is doing this work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. And he tells us whoever believes in this, in me, will do greater things. And he tells us it's because he is going to the Father. Why is him going to the Father? Uh, why is it our doing greater things dependent on him going to the Father? Because when Jesus went to the Father, after he ascended, he, he's crucified, dead, resurrected, he ascends. Who did he send back? The Holy Spirit. He sent his Spirit back to live in us. So by him going to the Father, he sends back the Spirit. The Spirit in us is greater than the one who is in the world. Jesus has overcome the powers and principalities of this dark age, the God of this world, the Prince of the air. He's overcome him. Now he's given us not just authority, but the power of the Holy Spirit to operate and continue his work. And so we need to see this. The thing I want you to understand as we look at who is God, 
that God is a God of greater things. God is a God of greater things. God wants to do greater things through us. Does God want to do greater things through you? Yes, but not you individually, just as an individual. He wants to do greater things in you and through you as part of his body. It's not something that we are, are, are just a privileged individual who's been given a gifting or who's been given a calling or who's part of the body. We're all together in this. And God wants to use what he's placed in you. If you have faith in Christ, you have received the spirit of God and the spirit of God works in and through you to do what you cannot do yourself. And so he's wanting to do this. Here's where we've got to get to though, guys. And this is, what's really been on my heart the last two days. If God is gonna do greater things, two things have to happen and they, they really connect. The first one is we've got to get out of our old paradigm, our old way of thinking and seeing. The second one is we've got, and this is really important, we've gotta make room for God to do greater things. If we just continue in our old way of thinking, in our old expectations, if we just continue um, going through life in a habitual pattern of what we do, not really thinking much about the God who is greater, wants to do greater things through his church and through his people, through me. If we never really give thought to that, we fall right into Satan's trap. And we begin to live a life that's just functioning in this religious system we call church. And then, and then we, we wonder like, well, if this is all there is to it, then why, why do I even need it? We become a people who have a form of godliness. We play the part, but we have no power. And we've got to get to this place where we begin to see that the Spirit of God begins to stir in us a hunger to see God do greater things. But if we never take a step of faith, if we never give him room, if we never give him room in our heart, if we never stop long enough to even contemplate who he is and what he's done, then how is he ever gonna do greater things? When I, I got convicted of this last Sunday, we were singing and we sang the song, uh, the, one of the lines in the song says, he's a miracle working God. Y'all remember that? We sang it twice. If you missed it the first time, you got to catch it the second time. We sang, he's a miracle working God. And I'm standing down here singing and, and I just felt like the Lord put in my heart. He just said, look, I am a miracle working God. But if you don't give me room to work, you're never going to see it. If you don't make room for me, if you just continue to crowd your plate with all this stuff and you just continue to try to do it all on your own and you just continue to settle for what you can do instead of allowing the God who does exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever think or imagine to step into this place in your life, then all you're ever gonna see is what your hands can accomplish. We'll never see greater things if we just settle for what we can do. We gotta make room. We gotta make room in our heart. We gotta make room in our lives. We gotta make room in service. We can't be so bound here that 
We just go through when we know we're going to sing these four songs. We're going to baptize these people. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We got to be willing to do what God wants to do, not what we think we ought to do. If God's going to build his temple, his body, the people, his church, then it's going to happen not by our genius plans. It's going to happen by the power of his Holy Spirit working in us and working through us and stirring your hearts so that we begin to operate the way he created us to operate. It takes all of us. It can't just, I I spoke to this some last week, it can't just be a few people. It's all of us. There's some of you who, listen, how many of you are in here today that I said, I'll give you $1,000 if you'll just come up here and speak for 10 minutes? How many of you are like, nope, no thank you. Would not get up there. Anybody, you just say, I'm not getting up there with a microphone. There's some people just horrified, right, of doing this. I'm one of them. I guess I was such a sinner that God's like, I'm going to show him how much he's got to suffer. So every Sunday, he's going to stand in front of people and talk. And I kid you not, like usually sometime around Saturday afternoon, I start going, oh man. Sometimes it's Sunday night after Sunday morning. I'm like, ooh, I got to do that again next Sunday. But some people, this is not, it'd never be on your radar, Right? And you probably aren't called to do that. But there's things, there's giftings inside of you that God desires to use. Some of you just love to serve people. You love to talk to people. You love to visit people. You love to listen to people. You have a heart of, uh, it's just merciful. You're able to empathize with people. You love kids. You love you. Well, I don't know what it is. You love something in the community. God's put a special place for, 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 you know, the homeless or whatever it may be in your heart. And you say, I want to be a part of that. Listen, you got to make room. You got to take a step of faith. Make room for God to move. There's a lot of things you can do and serve and be a part of the church without being inside the building. It's not just about here. Does it take people to, to pull off a Sunday morning? Yeah, absolutely. It takes people. But if you're just confined to this place, we're missing the point. If it only takes place from 9 to 10.15 or from 11 to 12.15, we'll never see greater things you got to realize that you have been called, you have been equipped, and you have been purposed to do greater things than what you are seeing. And here's the thing. Until we begin to tear down what we know of church and God that came from our experience, until we begin to tear that down and allow God's truth to establish what we expect and how we believe God will work and the, the fact that he does do greater things, as long as we live in this old religious paradigm, this old box, and we just think this is what he does and this is all it is, we're never going to be the church that God desires for us to be. 
You've got to come to the realization, listen to me, that if you have faith in Christ, the spirit of the living God who raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you and desires to do in you and through you what you cannot do on your own. But until you have an expectation that God does greater things, you will forever go through your existence wondering why my life doesn't line up with his word. We, the church, guys, listen, that one of the errors that the church has drifted into is much like the Old Testament error that was made when the temple became the focus. You remember we talked a few weeks ago about the tent of meeting in the temple, why that was so important to the Jewish people, uh, to the Israelites. Why was it so important? It was because they, they saw that as what separated them from all the other nations, that temple, that, temple, that, that tent of meeting. What it, what it represented for them was that the one true God resided with them. He resided with no other nation. He resided with them. But what ends up happening, rather than them being a people who celebrate God's presence with them, the temple kind of became the focus point. It kind of became a source of pride for them. It's why they were so offended when Jesus said, destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. What's he saying? He's saying, look, I'm going to build a different temple. But they became enamored with this temple. They became enamored with the tent of meeting. It became all about that. We've drifted into that in the New Testament church. I was talking with a friend of mine the other day, and he was telling me some, he's a business professor at Georgia Southern. He was giving me, we were talking about some different things. He said, it's kind of like this, and it was a question a student had asked him, and he was explaining to me um, how he had answered the question. And he starts kind of telling me about how businesses work and how their focus works. And I want to show you a diagram real quick because it made a lot of sense to me. And, and he said it, listen, he said it much better than I'm going to say it. He said it with words that were much more impressive than what I'm going to say it with. If you're a business person and you go, well, he made that way, way, way less than what it is. I'm simple. Simple can mean dumb. But this is how I understood it. Basically what he said is that in business, people will maximize their building and their property. He used some other words, but we decided this is probably the best way for me to say it. Building and property. He said, that's why you have businesses that run second and third shifts in the same facility. We're gonna maximize the, the building and the property that we have to produce the most product, to produce the most profit, okay? And so you see where the building and the property is huge, the people, not that they're not important. Every business requires people and, and they're important resource. But what's really being tried to maximize and leverage is the building and property. Let's get as much out of this as we possibly can. But then look at this other one. When we come to the church, it flip-flops. When you think about this, this is how the church was designed to work. The building matters very little. It becomes all about the people. Why? Because God is a relational God. It's all about people filling the earth with his glory, appraising him, living in a relationship with him that's for our good and for his glory. And we begin to see that people are what matters. 
The thing I'll tell you, though, and we can put both of them up here, is that this is more of the model that the church has adopted. Think about this. What did you say last night or this morning when you were thinking about coming here? I'm going where? You can say it. It's okay. Church. I'm going to the church. I'm going to go to church. What do we think of? The building. We look at it and this is what it's kind of, this is the church to us. This is what we've known it to be. See, we've gotten into this place where the church is more about sheetrock and screws and steel and lights. It's more about this than it is about us. But that's not how God intended it to be. The building matters very little. It's the people that matter. It's the giftings inside of the people that matter. It's how God wants to bring us together and use us as one body, one people that matters. We can gather up around a pine tree for all I care. We can gather at your house next, next Sunday. Who wants to volunteer? We can come to your house. All right, that'd be 1,100, 1,200 people at your house, but that's cool. Everybody bring a covered dish. And so, but we got to realize that this isn't it. Greater things happen when the Spirit of God is stirring our hearts. When we begin to listen, we first begin to become aware. In other words, the old mindset begins to be torn down. And you actually accept for yourself that God has placed his hand on my life, even as undeserving and unqualified as I feel, just humbly say yes, that God has something he wants to do in me and through me. It hinders us so much. I can't, that's the point. I can't, we know. I can't, but God can. And that's where we've got to get to. I asked somebody between services, like, why is it that I see some people who, man, they just begin to step out and do stuff. They just begin to engage in the kingdom. They just take their part and, and they begin to run with it. And some people, they sit back. And some of it, I think, is they're not aware that they're gifted. They're not aware that they're called to be a part. They're not aware. And then some of it, I think, is fear. Well, what if I mess up? What if you do? See, the way I've tried to live my life is I'd rather try and fail than never try at all. I think the worst question you could ask yourself at the end of your life is what if? What if I had? What if I had? What if I had? What if I had stepped in faith? What if I'd made room for God to move in my life? What if I had? What if I had? What if I had? Some of you, you've got things that have been going on in your heart for a long time. Things that God has been stirring for you to be a part of, for you to, to, to initiate, for you to go. Listen, don't wait on us to program it. Let the Holy Spirit lead it. And it's time. You've been thinking. You've been stewing. You, you, you know, the, the, the Spirit's been stirring this and you've got a desire for it and begin to step in that direction. But as long as we sit idly, nothing's going to happen. Some of you are afraid. They're going to think I'm crazy. If I tell them this is what's been on my heart, they're going to think I sat down with a guy this week. He's like, man, I'm just going to tell you what's on my heart and you can think I'm crazy. You might think I'm crazy. I'm like, I already think, no, I'm kidding. I didn't, I don't. But 
He said, this is what I've been wanting to do. This is what I've been seeing in my heart and in my mind. He's like, do you think I'm crazy? I'm like, no, I don't think you're crazy. I think you need to do that. I think you need to pursue that. If that's what God's, if that is what God has put in your heart, pursue it. Begin to move that way. Begin to take steps to see that happen. Some of you think, man, they're gonna think I'm crazy. Do you think that people didn't think I was crazy when I said we're gonna start a church? I know people in my own family thought I was crazy. But we're never gonna see God do greater things if we don't give him room. We give him room in our heart, but when the spirit begins to move in our heart and we begin to be stirred, we begin to step. And that's the other way we make room. So the spirit makes us aware of how we're gifted, that there's something in me that says there's more. I know there's more. So I begin to step into that. I become aware of it. I identify it and then I engage in it. I hope through this Sunday and the next two Sundays, you're going to become more aware and I'm praying that God stirs your heart to begin to step in and identify How's God wired me and made me to be a part of the body of Christ, to be a part of his church, not a part of a building or a system or a business, but a part of his living, breathing body because I want to see greater things. I pray that that's what we, you're able to begin to do is there's an awareness that comes and a stirring that comes. And then on March 10th at six o'clock, we're able to get together and we're able to begin exploring this and saying, God, reveal this to us. Open our eyes, open our hearts to what it is that you've put there. I really believe for some of you that it will be an aha moment, that God will give you a revelation of why you've always felt this way, but I never understood why I am this way. I really believe that. But then what do we do with that? We engage. I'm not going to tell you how to engage. I'm not going to say, well, you can serve in kids or you can greet and get services. You can run a camera. You can play a guitar. You can... There's a gazillion ways to engage. What's God call you to do? What does God call you to do? So we all have one purpose. is to fill the earth with his glory. But then we've all kind of got our own calling and part of the body to play that's what we've got to discern and that's what we've got to step into and it's going to happen as we give God room to move as long as it look he's not going to force you to as long as every time he tries to put his hand on your life you slap it away stay with the status quo Come and watch somebody else operate in their gifting, but you'll never have the thrill, you'll never have the satisfaction of operating in yours. I wanna pray for us to close out the service today. I just wanna pray that God continues to stir our hearts. I pray that even during this time, you would make room for God, inviting him into your heart to stir you up. Maybe, listen, maybe you don't sense that. Ask God to birth that in you, to bring that, that truth to reality, that he's stirring you to something else, to something greater.
to move us beyond. Lord, I thank you for this morning, your heart for us, your grace in our lives that you've done for us through Jesus, what we can't do. You do in us what we cannot do through the working of your spirit, transforming our heart and our mind. And God, you do through us what we cannot do. God, I pray right now that you would unify us as one body, that we begin to be aware of the fact that you've called us something more than a building or a system or an organization. God, you've called us to be a part of of your living being um, body. God, I, I pray that we would become aware of that and that you'd stir our hearts. And God, I pray that even before the 10th, God, that people would begin to identify how they're wired, how they're made. God, I pray that, that there would be people here today who finally just accepts your love for them and the fact that you have a plan and purpose for their lives. That's been on my heart probably since about three quarters of the way through this message. I've used the illustration before um, about how a lot of times God, God is trying to pour so much into our lives but we live like we've kind of got our hand over the cup. He's trying to pour in, we're blocking, we're, we won't receive because of our past, our condemnation, our doubts, whatever it is. Today I'm encouraging you, take your hand off of your life, off of the cup, and simply receive what God wants to pour into you. There's something you need to deal with him with and get out of your life, do that. But receive the love and the grace him working in you to do what you can't do, him working through you to do what you can't do. Receive that today. I wanna to encourage you with that, receive that today. Father, I thank you for your patience, your persistence in pursuing us. God, pour into our lives, Lord, what we can't do. Do through us what we can't do. And God, be glorified through it all. I pray that there'd be no selfish ambition that there be no pride and arrogance, but God, we would humbly, just as Jesus came humbly, we would come humbly before you to complete everything you have for us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.